You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, as Mark recounts to us the call of the first disciples, he wants us to see the power that Jesus has to reach people with the gospel. That's it. That's what this passage is all about. He misses out all the details included in the other Gospels. He misses out the story about getting into Simon's boat and pushing out from shore and then casting their nets on one side and then the other. He misses out all that detail. He misses out the fact that they spent the day with Jesus. Uh, they went back to where he was staying and listened to him. They, he misses out all those details. He just uses one of his favorite words, immediately they began to follow Jesus. So Simon and Andrew drop their nets where they are, and James and John leave their father and all the other workers in their boat. Mark is, he's drawing our attention to the kind of the suddenness of what is happening. These four men made life-changing decisions that day to leave everything they knew, every bit of security, every loyalty, and follow Jesus. Because they saw him, they heard him clearly. That is the power of the gospel revealed. It's like Mark is saying to us, you should expect this too. To the person without faith, he's reading his gospel, he's saying, by the time you finish my book, that will be you. It will be as clear as day to you. Jesus will be that real to you that you'll be willing to give everything up and follow him. To Christians reading it, he's saying, this is what you have a right to expect when you go out and tell people the gospel. If you proclaim this message clearly, people will drop everything to follow Jesus. So what does God want to say to us today? I think at a time when we are more aware than ever of voices that disagree with us, we're so surrounded by a barrage of propaganda that would kind of push us to shut up about our faith. He wants to fill us with confidence in the message that we carry. If we can speak it clearly, If we can be heard when we tell people about Jesus, then nothing on earth is more compelling. So there are just three kind of big points I want to bring out um, for you guys this morning that help us to kind of have that confidence in the gospel. Firstly, we need to have confidence that people will respond. The first thing God would say to us, I think, this morning is this. People will respond to the gospel. The first lie we believe about evangelism, the first thing the enemy would whisper into our ears, and the first thing that God wants to set right in our hearts is this fact. The enemy would say, nobody's going to listen. There's no point telling people about Jesus. God says, people will respond. What thoughts fill your mind when you think about telling someone about Jesus? What distractions, temptations, what doubts? Being a Christian is weird. It's only for a certain type of person. People are too materialistic, too antagonistic, too stuck in a certain way of life. It will ruin my relationship with that person. They'll never talk to me again. What fears fill your mind when you think about telling someone about Jesus? What's great about this scene is we see whatever fears or whatever doubts there are in our hearts, we have a right to expect the gospel to be compelling. And our default approach should be what on earth could stop this person from believing in Jesus? Not not how on earth could I make this gospel compelling, but what on earth could stop this person from believing in Jesus? 
There's a, there's a scene in the Old Testament that mirrors, I think, the response of the disciples in our passage today. In the book of Jonah, you know, we know the story, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh and tells them they need to repent or God is going to destroy their city. But that's just the middle of the story. Um, we're so used to thinking about the, the build up. Jonah's, you know, God calls Jonah. Jonah rebels. He doesn't want to go. He runs away. He gets thrown into the sea. He gets swallowed by a fish. He gets vomited up on a beach. You know, and then, then he goes. And then we focus on the, the misery of Jonah afterwards after he's delivered his message and he goes into the desert and he sulks and he has a little argument with God. That sometimes we miss one of the central features of that story is just how quickly, how easily, how compelling the, the message of repentance was to the people of Nineveh. Jonah finally, having been vomited out of fish, makes his way into the city like some sulky, underpaid paper boy delivering his round. <laughs> Gives his message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And this is the, how the Bible describes what happens. The Ninevites believed God. <laughs> A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. They all repented. One verse, wham! No messing around. They all believed. They all repented. God relented. The city was saved. That's the first part of God's message for us today. We have a right to believe that the gospel can elicit that response. That should be our default approach when we think about telling people about Jesus. Is the gospel can do that. It can make people drop their nets. Make people leave their families behind. It can make people turn their lives upside down. It can make a whole city, if necessary, repent and turn to God. I was reading about um, this week about a guy who was doing evangelism uh, with young men in Southeast Asia somewhere. He didn't say exactly where, but it was somewhere like Hong Kong or South, uh, South Korea or somewhere like that. And the guys he was witnessing to were really fashionable, media savvy, you know, urban kind of uh, young men. They watched a lot of films. They listened to a lot of music. And this uh, evangelist, he was trying to figure out a way to reach one of the guys he was spending time with. And just nothing was getting through. And he'd heard that in India... A very different context. But in India, they use this film called The Jesus Movie. Have any of you heard of that? Jesus Movie. I've never actually seen it myself. Well, he hadn't seen it either. But he'd heard it was a really great evangelism tool. So he invited this young guy round that evening and he said, we'll watch The Jesus Movie together. And uh, so the guy came. And as the film played, this evangelist just started to cringe because it was the acting was bad, the music was cheesy, the special effects were dodgy. He said it looked like Jesus was hovering most of the time. <laughs> um, the film came to an end and he turned to this cool guy and said, like, well, what did you think? You know. And the guy said, I think that's the best film I've ever seen. <laughs> I loved it. And he became a Christian and he went on to uh, full and mature faith. I love that story. Of course he loved the film about Jesus, right? <laughs> of course he did. It shows Jesus' life. It, it speaks Jesus' words. It, it displays his, his love for us. The, the, the words and the, dizzy, and the deeds of the most incredible person that ever lived. It shows the most incredible thing that happened. God gave his son to die on, a, on the cross in our place. Of course he loved it, right? That's, that's how we need to think about the gospel. And here's my default mindset sometimes when I think about telling people, I've got this message, but I'm going to mess it up because I haven't got the right words or I've got too many words or the music is cheesy or the church isn't what they're expecting or what something, some little thing is going to ruin this amazing message. 
And I, th- I think the first thing God would say to us this morning, you should be thinking about this the other way around. I've got such an amazing message, I can't mess this up. You know, if someone offers you a million pounds, you're not going to say, oh, no, thanks, just because it's wrapped in a paper bag, are you? That's how we need to think about the gospel. The gospel is so powerful. The message of Jesus is so attractive, so obviously right, so wholesome, that even the clumsiest presentation is able to bring home its truth to a heart that's searching for God. The gospel so comprehensively addresses every human need that is always a potential point in a hearer where they will respond like that young man to the Jesus movie. Or like the people of Nineveh. Or like Andrew and Simon and James and John. There'll be something about it that will meet them where they are and they will say, this is it. For the person who looks for evidence, for logic, for truth and reason, it answers every question. To the addict, it gives freedom and the fulfillment that they're really looking for. To the one who fears death or judgment, it proclaims forgiveness and eternal life. It speaks sense to the fool and joy to the joyless, right? Doesn't it? Peace to the tortured and the anxious. To the jaded, hope to the cynic, pure, unadulterated goodness. To the aesthete, to beauty without bounds to the lonely, to the misanthropic people-hater, to the empty, the hurting, the scarred, the guilty. It speaks love, love and love. It's so good. When we bring people to Jesus, they will find what they're looking for, whether they know that they're looking or not. More than that, when we bring people to Jesus, we often awaken a hunger in them that wasn't there before. That's how good our message is. You know, the enemy wants to tell us that the gospel isn't for this person or that person. It's not for this culture or that culture. It's not fashionable that it's weak. It's passe. (laughs) Seriously? Can you see how stupid that sounds when you think about how amazing our message is? In this passage, in this little scene, tiny little scene from Mark, abbreviated, redacted right down to its core elements, God rewinds history for us to remind us how it began. From these four men at Galilee, dropping everything to follow Jesus, billions have copied them down through 20 centuries. The gospel of Christ has climbed over every wall, raised against it, toppled every false philosophy it's encountered, has converted the hardest of hearts, plucked from the mire the filthiest of sinners. Be confident in the gospel. Think about the message you carry. See the power of it. God wants us to see. It can be that sudden, that immediately. So think about, firstly then, think about people you know, the people habitually you think of who are beyond the gospel. They're not. Who's that person you've avoided telling because you don't know how they'll respond? Picture in your mind how simple it is. Envision in your mind this happening. Jesus walks past, they drop everything, they follow him. It's that simple. It can happen. Hear the voice of Jesus say their name. Come, follow me. And watch as they walk in his footsteps. So that's the first part of the message this morning. We need to have this confidence in the message that we carry. Two more things that I think God would say to us this morning through his word, they kind of flow out from that. 
if we think for a moment where we get this idea that telling people about Jesus is hard, we'll discover that it's not just that the enemy whispers lies into our ears. The reason why we believe those things sometimes is because of our own experiences. Truth to tell, and you may have been thinking this through my first point, when we tell people the gospel, it doesn't always happen like that first bit of Mark, does it? And so we build up in our minds this picture that it's actually a lot harder, a, a lot more difficult than it needs to be. That maybe the gospel isn't as powerful as all that. So, you know, that's, I remember when I was, um, 15, I had a, a best, a best friend, a guy called Ian. We used to spend all our time together. You know, we just, yeah, I don't know what we did, but anyway. Um, but one day I just felt so convicted to tell him about the gospel. We, I just, we just never talked about church. We never talked about Jesus. I don't know why. Just never came up. But one day I just felt so convicted and, um, I was so nervous. I went and I prayed. I remember walking around the little, football field at the back of our house. I worked up the courage. I walked to his house, like 15 minutes walk there, like my heart pounding my chest. And I went and I clumsily, I talked to how Jesus died for his sins, how he needed to believe in him and nothing. <laughs> I think if I remember right, you just said, I just don't see why I need that. <laughs> I was like, I've <laughs> <laughs> You know, if someone could have been converted, just if, if there's some like, you know, I don't know, balance between anxiety and the courage that could be rewarded with results, I should have got the reward that day because it was, it was really, really hard to do. I was just stumped, you know. Okay. So I've given you the really good bit. We need to have confidence. But the truth is, if we're really honest, our experiences, it's not always received like that. Not every attempt we make to share the gospel goes like that guy who watched the Jesus movie. But the the point of this first point is to say it's not the message that's the problem. We have a message that we have a right to expect to be effective. That should be our default. Not how can I make this convincing, but how can I mess this up? But that doesn't mean that we just have to say some magic words, say the right things either. I remember one of the guys at Life in the Spirit actually was telling me, I think it was him, or maybe it was some people he'd seen. They were doing some evangelism in the middle of London. It's a, it was a group of churches called the Strict and Particular Baptists. Uh, anyone know them? Yeah, yeah, right. So they had this, I don't know if it's this particular church. You guys might know more about it than I do. It's this particular church. But their method of evangelism was they were basically, they would read evangelistic verses out of the Bible. And the guys would line up in a row. Anyone heard of this? And they would just stand there. And um, they wouldn't say anything. They, and they would... Step forward one at a time, and they would just read a verse in a kind of monotone, and they would step back. Right? And that was their method of evangelism. And they would just do that, take it in turns, and they work their way through a list of passages. And if God wanted people to be saved, they get saved. What do you reckon? <laughs> is the gospel that powerful? Well, actually, yeah, it is. I, I reckon someone could be converted that way. But we don't actually, we believe that the way God usually works is he, his, his, his sovereignty in saving people. We believe that God saves people. It's not because we deserve it, because he somehow sovereignly chooses us and his grace is poured out upon us. But the way he does that is not kind of by magic or because we just proclaim the gospel, but actually he uses us fully. He uses every aspect of our personality, all our thoughts, all our faithfulness, everything in creation to bring people to him, to bring out his sovereign will. So, we have to have courage in the message, but there's more than that. It's not just being brave. What else do we have to do? Two more things. 
we need to pray. If we want to be effective in sharing the gospel with people, we have to pray. Lots of reasons to do this. Firstly, we need God's providential help. You know, when we bring the gospel to people, there are all these factors in play. Like I say, it's not, <laughs> gospel isn't magic. There are all these things that are outside of our control. Like the whole of creation is under God's sovereignty and it's playing like an orchestra. And when we bring the gospel to people, it's like listening for the right cue. It's like you've had the build up and there's going to be the thing that follows and you've got your place in there. And we have to pray that God will providentially arrange our lives so that we can speak the gospel at just the right time. That's the message that Mark misses out and Luke includes in his account of Simon's call. You know, um, Simon's been fishing all night and they caught nothing. Jesus gets in the boat. He says, cast your nets to the other side and they drag in a huge haul of fish. Did God miraculously make those fish appear next to the boat? No. But he knew they were there. And Jesus knew they were there and Simon didn't. God can tell us when and where is exactly the right time. And he can arrange our lives so that our gospel preaching is as effective as that. But so same with Jonah. His message to Nineveh, he was the right man, the right time, in the right place. And God delivered his message like a surgeon's knife. Perfectly. And the whole city repented. So we need to pray for God's providential help, his arranging of situations. Paul was always asking for God's providential help. He's always asking people to pray. He requests prayers for the right words in sharing the gospel. He he um, pray, asks for prayer that he can proclaim the gospel without fear. He asks for prayer to uh, preach the gospel clearly. He asks for prayer that uh, doors would be open to the gospel and that God's word would speed ahead and be honored. He asks for prayer for his evangelism. So we pray for God's arrangement of affairs. We pray for God's timing. We can pray for God's people. We can pray for the right person. Sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's another person. Sometimes it's, you know, and, and they can just explain things in a way you can't. We can pray for the for people that we know who want to be saved to just to meet the right person who can explain the gospel to them. Think of someone who's away right now. You can't share the gospel to maybe a child or a relative or someone you know. You can pray that they will meet a group of Christians. You can pray that they'll meet the right group of Christians and that in that group of people, there'll be someone who can explain the faith to them. We can pray for spiritual gifts, prophetic insight, words of knowledge or wisdom. You know, Paul had a, a vision of where to go. Acts 16, it tells us that in a dream, God gave him a vision of a man from Macedonia beckoning them to come and preach the gospel there. And God literally God opened the door for them. He made a way for them into that place and the gospel was effective there. So we we can ask God for those supernatural interventions. And, and it got even just before that, it tells us in Acts uh, 16, 7, that um, God directed their actions as well, it's um, supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit. When they came to the border of Mycia, it says, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I guarantee you they were praying that God would direct their steps. We can pray for gifts of healing, all the gifts, supernatural gifts of the Spirit that open the door to the gospel. We need to pray against the enemy. Paul tells us clearly, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The enemy can be at work in people's lives. 
You know, actually, we can pray against the enemy in our own lives. You know those doubts that flood into your mind when you're thinking about telling someone the gospel? You think that's just your own mind bringing them to light? You don't think there's someone there whispering them, trying to influence your emotions and your feelings, trying to fill you with dread or anxiety? You don't think that the enemy would do that if he could? I think he would. We need to pray for courage. Pray against the enemy's influence on our own thought life. You know, have you ever thought, like, I don't know, sometimes I thought about sharing the gospel with someone, you just think about the most outrageous negative outcomes, you know? They're going to slap you or never talk to you again or whatever. And usually, you know, (laughs) it's just, usually something amazing happens. Sometimes something mildly negative happens, like they go, like my friend Ian. Oh, I don't really see why. (laughs) But none of the bad things. So we need to pray against the enemy. And, and then we need to pray for people to, to be able to hear. We, we've, we've established in the first point, the problem isn't the message. The problem isn't the message. We have an amazing message. We have a right to expect people to respond to. But people are spiritually blind. So Paul writes, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People, it's not that our message is bad. But you can have the most beautiful message, but if you haven't got eyes to see it, they can't see the beauty. You can have the most eloquent message, but if you haven't got the ears to hear it, they can't hear it. We need to pray for that. I was watching a, a guy doing evangelism. He was a Messianic Jew, and he was getting uh, Jewish people to read uh, Isaiah 53. <laughs> it's such a it's such a great video, and he's 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 talking them through it, and he's taking them through it and a few other Old Testament references, and he's saying this is about the Messiah, and they're like, yeah, this is about the Messiah, and he's like, what can you tell me about the Messiah? He's like, he's going to suffer, and he's going to die, or somehow our sins are going to be put onto him, and so that we can go free. He's like this perfect um substitute he's going to come before the year 70 AD and um he's going to be rejected by Jewish people but accepted by millions billions of gentiles and you know it's, it, and these are all the Jewish people responding and the guy goes so do you know anyone who fits that bill and they're like no <laughs> what is that that's not natural is it that you don't put two and two together and say that's Jesus we have to pray for people's eyes to be open to the message People can be blinded by spiritual forces at work in their life, by literally by the demonic, by addictions, by serious sin, selfishness, stupidity. They can be blinded by experiences of church in the past, the uh, perceptions they have of Christians, by busyness, by ambition, by religious hatred, by pride, all those things. We need to pray, not that the gospel will work like magic. We just say the right words and people believe. The gospel is beautiful. We need to pray that people can see it. You know, half the point of the miracles that Jesus did in his ministry, healing the blind, opening the ears of the deaf, was to make this point. We don't, we need people to, we need Jesus to open their eyes and, and open their ears to hear the message. In fact, you know what? We don't just need people to, we don't need God to open people's eyes and ears. We need him to raise the dead. People are spiritually dead. They need life. But Jesus isn't just able to open the eyes of the blind, is he? He's not just just able to unstop the ears of the deaf. He can raise the dead. There's that old um, quip about um, why did Jesus say Lazarus come forth? Why did he use Lazarus's name when he called Lazarus from the tomb, from back from the dead? And some clever person replied, well, because if he didn't say Lazarus, they would have all come out. That's the power of God to open people's 
eyes and ears and to give them life. When we pray, people are saved. So here's the thing. The the whole of the Bible, the whole of Christian history, almost all of our experiences that I can imagine you guys have had, uh, tell us that when we pray, God opens people's eyes and ears to the gospel and people get saved. Agreed? Not just because I'm shouting at you right now. (laughs) The whole of the Bible, Christian history, your own experience, you know that when you pray, people get saved. So if you don't pray for people to be saved, then what? Yeah. But what does it say about you? You either don't care whether people are saved or not, or you don't think that people need the gospel, or you don't think it will work, or you're too lazy to bother. There aren't any good options there. We have to pray for people to be saved. So think about this for a moment. Who prayed for you? A mother? A father, a friend, a brother, sister, cousin? Your children, maybe? Somebody pray for you. That's why you're here today, believing in Jesus. Who will you pray for? Let's make a, a resolution, seeing as it's nearly the beginning of the year. <laughs> this year, as a church, we will renew our efforts to pray for people to come to faith in Christ. How about that? In our own prayer times, in small groups, whether it's home groups or ladies' prayer meeting or whatever it is. And as a whole church, that we will pray that people are saved. And then this time next year, we'll look back and we'll say, remember that sermon? Mark 1, 14 to 20. God saves people. So we need confidence in the gospel. We need uh, We need to pray. Thirdly, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need to be able to understand what we're doing. Yeah, actually, that's one more thing we can pray about, not to blur these two points, but actually, the Bible tells us that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give us it. We need wisdom to understand how to preach the message of the gospel. We need wisdom to understand how to reach people in this generation. What are their concerns? What are their worries? What is their way of hearing? You know, one of the reasons why sometimes we think the gospel is magic is because it works even when we don't expect it to. So we start to think, if we just preach, people will get saved. Actually, that does happen. If we just preach it, people will get saved. But we start to think it works almost like automatically. So there are things like that film that guy watched. He, you know, he, um, it was cheesy and so on. He thinks, oh, maybe it's, you know, but actually it's the beauty of the gospel that saves people. Like, um, one thing that puzzles me, like, is the Alpha Course. If you look at the Alpha Course, the arrangement and the material, it is pretty random presentation of the gospel. <laughs> pretty random selection of subjects. And yet, it works. You look at, um, say, Billy Graham Crusades in the middle of the um, second half of the 20th century in this country. People said when he came over, who's going to listen to some yank <laughs> prattering on about the gospel? There was something about the way he did it that worked. It, wa- it wasn't just magic. It was filled with prayer. And there was something about the situation. Something about the situation where, that matched the speaker to the hearer. So God doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of, of thinking about what we do. So the Bible gives us examples of this. Paul, when he goes to the Areopagus, and he gives this, uh, he goes, this Mars Hill in Athens, and he gives this um, evangelistic message to the, uh, the philosophers there. 
And he's thought about his message. He's planned it. He's thought, what is the thing that's going to get through to these guys? And he chooses a message that will reach them where they are. You know, we've said already, he prays for clarity of expression and explaining the gospel. Colossians 4.4, 4, if you want to look it up. The Bible tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Not just to be able to give a gospel presentation, not just be able to explain the cross in 60 seconds, but to give the reason why you believe. Give them a reason. Give a reasoned account of your faith. You know, the, the times we live in are, they are messed up. They're not the same as the times when Billy Graham came over and tens of thousands of people would go and listen and thousands upon thousands of people would get saved at a conference. Yes, maybe the, the, our methods need to change. Yes, maybe we need to do things differently. We, we, but God isn't saying, don't think about it. He's, we have this amazing message. We have the promise of what he'll do in prayer. When we put our minds to it and we take all the gifts the church has together and think about how to, Give people the gospel. The gospel will find a way to reach people. Doesn't that fill you with hope? You know, the, the gospel is like, it's like the perfect lockpick. You know? We can open any door with it. We can open any door. No matter how stubborn the difficulties, no how deep rooted the cultural problems. The gospel is, can open any locked door. So we have to think about our culture. We have to think through, you know, why does this feel weird? Why do I not want to speak to this person like this? You know, we need to think about the way people respond to the gospel. We have to examine what we're good at and make plans and think through and think about the people we know and love. Think about the people in your family. And think, why is it that so far everything I've said to them hasn't made sense? Is there some other way that I can explain the gospel? With gentleness and respect. What about the gospel is relevant to this person? You know, the message of Jesus is like a, it's like a palace. There's one throne room in the middle, but there are many doors, many halls to walk down to take people to the throne of Jesus. And if one hasn't worked, there'll be another. And if that doesn't work, there's another way to talk to people. If that doesn't work, there's another way. If we can get people to see him, if we can get people to see Jesus from any angle, they will follow him. You know, I just think of that, that little story about the guy who watched the Jesus movie. Jesus is beautiful. He's compelling. His life is powerful. It moves people in ways that we cannot understand. You know, when Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he says, when I got to you guys, I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Why did he do that? Not because the gospel is magic, but because the center of the gospel, Christ upon the cross, is the most beautiful thing that has ever happened. And if if someone, you know, think of the millions of people who've come to the understanding, maybe just seen Jesus on the cross and come to an understanding of just the barest understanding of what is happening there. God giving himself in our place. Pouring out his love for us on the cross. It's the most wonderful thing ever. And if we can just give people a glimpse, then they will follow him. You know, I'm part of thinking 
is persevering. We have to persevere in our presentation of the gospel. You know, a, a fool or a child would go to a lake, fish for an hour, catch nothing, and say, there aren't any fish here. But a fisherman knows. It takes patience. It takes thinking. It takes intelligence and wisdom. A clumsy but persevering evangelist will see people saved. <laughs> more than someone who thinks things through but never does anything about it. So just let me challenge you this, just on this third point. Have you been expecting the gospel to work by magic or have you engaged your brain? God wants you to use your thinking, your way of looking at things, your understanding of the gospel to communicate to the people you know. So ask God to give you wisdom for that person you're praying for, for that family that you're praying for or that street that you're praying for, or that village that you're praying for, or that nation you're praying for, or wherever God calls you to witness. You know, you might be the next inventor, the person who invents the next alpha course. We don't know, right? You might be just the person God uses to open up that person you're thinking of to the gospel. So we need these three things. We need confidence in the gospel. We need prayer. We need wisdom. And uh, Mark's sparse and brief account of the call of the disciples tells us that we can expect to see lives turned around as simply and dramatically as in our reading today, as people see for the first time the beauty of Jesus, if we have those three things. So may God convict us of those. And one last thing. You know, with John in prison, Jesus knew that it was his turn. It was his time to preach the gospel. He knew that if he didn't do it, then nobody would. Are you convinced that God has called you to tell other people? If you don't tell the people you know about Jesus, who will? How can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Uh, this is, I said three points, so I'm going to put a cheeky last one in. Just two seconds. We have to see that God has called us. God has called you to share your faith with people. He has made you the way you are, with your personality, your, in your situation, with your strengths and your weaknesses, your fears, your struggles, your experiences, your way of putting things, your understanding, precisely, so that through you, he might call people to faith. His gospel is so brilliant, so powerful, so compelling, that it can shine through any one of us. It can shine through four rough-handed, fishy-smelling men from Galilee who learn slowly, year after year, through big mistakes and small mistakes, to become fishers of men. And it can shine through you and through me too. Amen.